Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pucks of a Feather podcast. I am your host Patrick today, alongside Eddie, joining me for the show. What's up, man? Not much. Uh, what was supposed to be a weekly podcast on Mondays is now turned into a weekly podcast on Tuesdays, where we routinely say, yeah, next time we'll get it out to you on Monday, and it comes out on Tuesday. Yeah, man, it's uh, just... It's the way it is. At least, hey, at least we're doing it every week. We got a fresh show out every week. That's that's the important yeah. thing. But life gets in the way. Hey, man, when you don't make money writing for a living or, or podcasting for a living, it's kind of it's it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, quit complaining, guys. We're we're getting you. We're getting the show out. So you get the it, content. It's all right. Yeah. yeah so we but got we 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 got a lot of games to talk about. We uh, we've got four. The last four games because we finished off with Colorado. Uh, from the last Sunday game because we recorded on last Monday because of some some technical difficulties and for this week we got Arizona, St. Louis, and uh, Montreal and L.A. and uh, they were better games, right? Like I mean, the the last games we covered the last two before this were Vegas and Colorado and they got the win against Colorado and Vegas was a a good game but they lost three nothing. These were all either very good games, uh, like Arizona and especially Montreal, or close games that the Ducks just couldn't get over the hump, especially St. Louis, and then last night against L.A. as well. Yeah, you know, the Ducks just are trying to find their way along along this path towards the end of the season with a mix of young guys and veterans, having Bob Murray step in as, as coach now. Um, I think it's just a lot of things going on in this lineup that, I don't know, it's gotten better, but it just hasn't been great. Right, we've, we've yeah, seen, because we've seen it's still sparks. the same guys, right? right? Like it's it's you can change so much by moving a new uh, by moving a coach out and and bringing Bob Murray behind the bench, but you're still gonna have the same core players, and and that's been the problem all year is that you know it it was a lot on Randy Carlisle, but this team still had issues no matter what. You know, you could have put the best coach in the league behind the bench, and I don't think this team. You know, they might have been a playoff team, but like a borderline wildcard playoff team, they weren't going to be much better than that. And and that's kind of the way they're playing right now. They're, they're staying in games against good teams. They're having their bad games here and there. Uh, and they're about 500 right now or since uh, Randy Carlisle got fired. That's about what you would have expected them this year. So that's, what, five or six more wins on their record instead of some losses. So, um, you know, it's it, it kind of is what it is. And, and you know this team is still going to have issues. But at least it's nice seeing them have these types of games, like against Montreal, where you know that was one of the more fun games of the season because you had Max Jones get his first NHL goal, you had Troy Terry get back-to-back three-point games. You know everything pretty much went right there. Ricard Raquel scored, Corey Perry scored, right? So it was just one of those games where everything went well, but you still have the struggling ones, like against St. Louis, where you collapse in the final couple minutes of the game, or against LA the other night, where it's just a snore fest and you get 20 shots on net against one of the worst uh, defensive teams in the league. Yeah, and there was just a, just a lot of the Ducks just not being able to convert. That's what I had yeah. noticed over these past you know, these past several, you know, what, 13 games, 14 games that we've seen since Carlisle's been gone. They just, they're just not converting. They're just even getting chances. Like, even, even Corey Perry is getting chances, but he just can't bury them right now. So, it, 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 whether it means that you need to kind of retool this whole thing is another story, which we could get to at some point, but... Um, <laughs> the be- the best part about all this is, you know, I'm happy that my team was more enjoyable to watch. But I mean, what happened to the tank? Like, why are we trying it's, to win these yeah. games? <laughs> I mean, despite going 500, some of the teams around them have been winning. Uh, it's just the the Ducks are still 
bottom five. They're fifth last right now in the league, which isn't bad if you finish there. You still have, I think, 8.5% odds to get the number one overall pick. And even if you miss out, as long as you don't have somebody below you win the lottery, you still get a top five pick, which is going to be important this year. And honestly, if you don't get one, two for the Ducks, if you finish anywhere from three to seven, maybe even three to ten, you're getting a, a generally the same type of caliber player, at least projected as right now. We don't know what these guys are going to turn out to be. But what what it looks like right now is it's Jack Hughes. Then slightly under that is Capocacco. And then there's a bunch of guys in 3-10 to 10 that it depends on wh- whatever team's scouting staff where they have that guy or who they value more. You know, Dylan Cozens could go 3 if that team really values him. He could go 7 if there's teams that have some uh, issues with what he brings and there's other guys they like more or positional need. You might see a defenseman go a little bit sooner if a, if a team wants to take a defenseman. So, you know, the tank is still on. and But I don't think, you know, the Ducks were never going to be the worst team in the league. They were never going to rival the Senators. They were going to struggle to rival even Detroit and New Jersey, where they would get to you know to the bottom part of the league, where they'd be second last or last in points for. They were never going to be that bad. The only way they were going to get Hughes is to win the lottery. Yeah, and even that's a tough one because there's no guarantee. It's not like oh, you get 31st, you get the pick. It's a lottery. Yeah. So there's a chance. I just for want everyone. the bottom five, so we can see Bob Murray on. NHL Network slash TSN well, during the draft water, we get to see him sitting in the chair. That's that's all I want to see. Because I'm pretty sure it's I'm pretty sure it's the top five GMs. Maybe it's the top three. I can't remember what they do, but I, I think it's the top five who show up for that. And they're they're usually on TV for that. So I would love to see Bob Murray sitting sitting in a chair waiting to see if they won the lottery. That that would be great. Yeah, there's a chance, right? So we'll see how that goes. I mean, the last four games, what they played, the Blues, the Habs, the, the Kings, and the, and the Coyotes. Those, those are the last four that the Ducks have, have, uh, have played. And they've looked decent, right? Like we said, they're, they're the 500 club um, under, under Bob Murray right now. They, they just, it's like they, look, they looked good in the second half of the game against the Blues and then blew it, literally on two plays. Um, yeah. They beat the tar out of the Canadians. They, they just hammered that team 8-2. But at times, they didn't even look good in that game. Uh, the Canadians no, still had upwards looked, of 30 shots. They almost looked better in the Vegas game that they lost 3 nothing mm-hmm. than in the Montreal game that they won 8-2. to It was just not a night for Carey Price. And the Ducks were just capitalizing on pretty much all the chances that they had. So it's, you get those games. And, and, and honestly, in, in the Vegas game, the Ducks probably should have scored three or four goals, and they didn't. Um, the, the difference, I think, with this team is is you know you look over the last few games three goals against Arizona four goals against St. Louis eight goals against Montreal two goals against LA it's a little bit of a dip but at least they're scoring goals like you know before this the last on last week's podcast it was like oh they're still struggling to score they can't score you know they put up chances against Vegas they don't get anything they get two against Colorado they probably should have scored more and now you get to this this week and the goals are coming and, and guys are starting to play a lot better yeah and i mean when you're looking at the at these uh, this series of games, it's almost like um, they should have saved some for that Kings game because that was probably the worst game of this stretch, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, that's that sure. was definitely one of the worst games of the stretch. I mean, LA's coming off uh, playing the night before too, so it was kind of disappointing. Yeah, everyone's excited for this, uh, you know. Everyone everyone is excited for this rival we haven't seen since November. I mean, this team's going to play uh, against each other. I think they play two more times. 
or is it I just so. one more time? And they even play that, in April. It's two more times they play. That's the crazy thing is they played the night before, and the Ducks look the more tired of the teams. And, you know, you muster 20 shots against a team who'd played the night before. They outshoot you 25 to 20. And, you know, they're not a great team defensively. And, and the Ducks literally just they just couldn't get anything going. You know, they, they scored a goal off a mistake from Jonathan Quick, which was one of their goals. And, and the other one was a great shot. But, I mean like it, it's just a really poor effort coming off such a great game against the Montreal Canadiens and you know honestly in the standings wise it's probably a, you know a win for the Ducks if you're on team tank but it's just disappointing because you think they're starting to build something here like they played good against Colorado Arizona St. Louis despite you know just blowing it in the third period against Montreal and then you get one of these just goose egg games that reminds you that the Ducks still aren't really that good of a team and they can't beat the LA Kings, and they and not only can't they beat them, it, it, you know they just put up a horrible effort. Well, they're gonna have to figure out. I think look, it's a learning process for these kids too. Let's let's talk about the kids because they've been dominating right in this stretch. Troy Terry's been dominating. Um, he was named he was named I think third star of the week by the NHL. No, I mean he's yeah, he's killing it. Right points now. in four games. Yeah, and, and I mean six of them came in two games. Then he had the one goal and then didn't didn't get any points against uh, L.A. But, I mean, anytime you get the, the, those honors, he's one of the best players in the league. I mean, the, the NHL deemed him the third best player in the entire league over last week, which, you know, that's hard to argue when you're putting up numbers like that. Three points in back-to-back games is it's hard to do, especially for, you know, it only it's reserved for some of the elite players in this game. It, you know, you do it in one game, sure, it happens. You know, Brad Richardson scored four goals this year, right? It, it happens. But you do it in back-to-back games, you string together, a, a, you know, a, a three-game point streak, you look good in all of those games. He deserved it. And, and you know, even Max Jones getting the first uh, NHL goal against Montreal. You know, and nobody really played good against L.A., but hopefully they can start stringing together some, some consistency and uh, playing better. I mean, you know, the games coming up aren't going to get any easier. You've got Nashville, Arizona, Colorado, and Florida. And, you know, three of those teams are fighting for playoff spots, and Nashville's generally one of the better teams in the league. Yeah, Nashville's going to be a tough go, and that's that's tonight. That's a tough one. Um, but I, I, just, to, just to talk about the kids for a minute, I mean, one of the biggest struggles this season was the ability to score on the power play, which in my opinion is, is just a mix of – getting the right guys out there who are comfortable, who can trust each other to create space. And and what I mean by that is you have to trust the fact that it's not a positional uh, opportunity. There's there's positional um, plays where you have to be, you know, you have the guy who's going to be shooting, you have the, the facilitator, usually your best passer is going to be feeding the puck, but there's no, like, you don't just stand around. And I felt like that's what the that's what they were doing a lot of this time this year. The, the power play is literally standing around. They do the same old format over and over and over again. Doesn't work. So looking at the way this power play unit is moving now, with the addition of Troy Terry, Troy Terry has really elevated this power play here around this last stretch. Uh, do you think we maybe found and it's maybe a short you know a small sample size rather, but maybe found a new facilitator for this for the pass because he comes in really nicely on that right side. He's a modern-day facilitator. He's not a Ryan Getzlaff where he sits in one spot and dishes the puck, you know, to, to hard-to-reach areas, right? Like, that's what Getzlaff's good at. And there's those, there's those guys who are pinpoint passers on power plays. Nicholas Backstrom's one of those guys. Backstrom generally sits in one spot, and he just makes the perfect pass. 
and and you know those guys are valuable. Troy Terry is in, in a sense where he's just everywhere on the power play. He's buzzing around. He's making plays. You know, you'll see him swing up to the blue line. Then he'll swing down to the boards. He'll go down behind the net. And like, if you can build a power play around that guy effectively, you create mayhem for the penalty killers because now they're having to switch off assignments and watch this guy with the puck. And then one eventually one guy is just going to be able to drift open. And if you've got a, a great puck handle and a great passer like Troy Terry, he's going to find that open guy. So, yeah, it is a small sample size, but – he is, you know, an interesting guy to put on the power play when you add that dynamic. You know, one guy I look at, it's a, it's a lofty comparison, but you look at Matt Barzell, and when he is on the power play, he's not sitting in one spot. He's always moving. He's always moving at speed. He's always cutting down to the boards, going to the back to the point, behind the net, and he's trying to make the perfect pass, and he's got the ability to do that. So if, if they can kind of set up a similar way to how New York utilizes Barzell and their power play, and do that for Troy Terry, then he definitely could be effective. So, I guess one of the th- one of the biggest points then is is when you move, you create space, right? When the, yeah. if, the, if you move as a unit, right? If everyone's shuffling and moving, you you are able to create space for each other, and and not just move as in moving your feet, but passing the puck. The puck, I mean, clearly, obviously, travels faster than anybody can skate in this league. I don't care who you are. So, if you move the puck around fast enough, you get the penalty killers out of position be able to hop into holes that's where i've been able to see this power play kind of come together and it's been nice and it does help when you have skill and soft hands like troy terry to you know to be able to facilitate those passes but i've just been impressed by that and i think another addition to that too though if we're going to be talking about um you know passing and people having more of a role is cam fowler playing on his offside and how much that's kind of opened up his game because now he has more of an offensive ability and opportunity in order to, you know, do the same thing. Get get in position for shots, get in position for better passes, because he's on his off wing. I never understood why anybody wanted to would want to play on their on their correct wing, right? If you're a lefty, why are you playing the left side? It, it, for forwards, you, you know, it makes it makes sense to not do that and have the righty on the left and the lefty on the right because you're in position for one timers. Um, the 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 reason you do it, and generally, if you have somebody who's a great passer then you put them on their strong side going down the wing because then they're always in there. They enter the zone in the position to make the pass on the forehand. They don't have to stop up and make the pass on the backhand. And that's generally why defensemen lefties play on the left, righties play on the right. You can get a clean zone exit, a clean pass out going to your side because you're always on the forehand. If you're on the backhand, you're skating in to get a puck from the right side. You cannot clear it out around the boards you've now got it or you can't clear it up like up the boards you've now got to clear it around the net on your forehand or you're backhanding it so you know i get it 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 that's why not many guys can do it successfully and i'm honestly surprised cam fowler has you know it it, if he can handle it defensively it gives him a great advantage when he's making the rush up the ice that now he enters the zone cleanly on his forehand he can get set up either just the puck off to somebody then he's always in a position to make a you know for a one-timer to take a shot to take a one-timer it sets him up beautifully in the offensive zone to really do whatever he wants and he's never in a position where he can't shoot the puck or he has to switch over to the other side to take a shot i mean just just to kind of give you a little bit of insight on how this was being um you know brought upon the team is is bob murray made the change because he uh, maybe he and his coaching staff. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, even the broadcast has said that the assistant coaches have been kind of leading the charge there. But but Bob Murray, yeah. I went to the breakfast with Bob. That whole thing. Um, and one of the comments you he went had, with him. I went. Yeah, I went with guest? him. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was there. I got served um, frozen mini pancakes and uh, two slices of donated 
uh, you know, bacon. They were literally this big, and then the pancakes were literally, you know, I mean, no one could see me, but it's like, I don't know. Despite being a personal Very friend, small. you got the peasant's breakfast? I did. I got the pigeon breakfast. Yeah, it's just kind of the way it goes. <laughs> um, it was good. Just, you know, whatever. Anyway, the <laughs> he does this really interesting comment about Cam Fowler. He, he was talking about um, if he was concerned about, you know, getting guys to match up left side, right side, right? He's like, you know, because Manson and, and Lindholm, left guy, right guy. It's just kind of the way it kind of goes. Um but he said he's not worried about that. And he said he pointed to the Raptors and said, we just retired some guy up here who played on his off wing or yeah, his offside his entire career and made a killing yeah. at him. He's amazing. But that's like that's that's a really tough thing to say about Scott Niedermeyer because he's well, he's a he's a Fowler's legend. heard it before. Fowler's <laughs> heard the comparisons of Scott Niedermeyer since he came to the Ducks organization. So why not why not bring up some more comparisons between the two but you know to be fair to him he's done it successfully so far short sample size small sample size on, on him on the right side but you know he's he's split that time with Gooley and Larson and he hasn't really had a bad game he's honestly looked pretty comfortable there for a guy who hasn't been there before and a guy who's struggled in his own zone and you know that's why when you look at this move and if you hadn't looked at how he was doing you would assume it probably would go poorly because he's struggled on the, on the, what should have been his strong side for a while defensively, yet you put him on the opposite side, and he's doing fine. You know, he's not making any mistakes. He's still uh, exiting the zone successfully, which is something that he's done for his entire career, maybe except for the first half of this year. But it seems to not have phased him. And, and I don't know if it's a long-term solution, having him there, but at least it kind of mitigates the loss of Brandon Montour then now you don't have to worry about not having two right-handed defensemen. You can at least put Cam Fowler there, and he's going to do well there. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And, and and Cam Fowler, too, has this skating ability, so maybe that's going to help him out, too, and be more of a dangerous threat offensively. So, right? so moving him onto his off wing totally helps that out because he can skate, too. It's not like if he gets caught that he's in, he's in dire, you know, he's in dire straits trying to get back into the defensive zone, although we have seen him, even with his skating ability, get back to the defensive zone, and then look off the puck and skate away. Yeah. <laughs> so that's always going to be a part of this game, that it's going to come up every now and then, no matter where he's playing. Like We've seen things like that, but, I mean, it's been tough to pair him with, with anybody. That's one of the other problems, too. It's been tough to get him with somebody that it's like, okay, he can play with him permanently. We, we thought we saw um, a situation with him and Brandon Montz where that might make a lot more sense, but um, do you think that they – try to go out and pick somebody up to bring in? Or do you think that they're more or less going to, you know, do with what they got here with the, with these uh, young players and match them up with somebody? It's an interesting situation that they now find themselves in because you would assume it's going to be Lindholm Manson for the foreseeable future as your top pairing. And then you've got Gooley who will probably start the season next year here, you would assume, just based on the way he's playing and eventually when he gets back from injury. Um, then you've got Cam Fowler. Then you've got Jakob Larson, who's going to get more of a shot, hopefully, next year. He's played a, a significant amount of games for the Ducks this year, so it's a matter of time, I think, before he is a regular for this team. You've got Magda and Holtz, who I don't think are going to be mainstays on the blue line. You've got Josh Mahura, who's coming up. And you still have Andy Walensky, who I don't know yet. I don't know for sure if he's going to be a number six in this league or not. So I think the Ducks do have to go out and get somebody. And you have to go get a righty because if you bring in another lefty, you're going to have double lefty on the second and third pairing. So I, I think, you know, the, if the Ducks in free agency this year, they're not going to make 
any significant additions. They're not going to go out and get like a top six forward or a top four defenseman. But if they go out and get a guy who's proven that he's a, a consistent NHL defenseman in a bottom pairing position, that would be a perfect get for them. Even if they're not trying to be good, you, they need some depth there. When you only have Holzer and you only have Walensky and you have no idea if Dodson and Suster are even going to be back. I believe they're both only on one-year deals. And it doesn't seem like the Ducks are too interested in keeping them around since they've both been in San Diego for most of their, their time with the Ducks. So that seems like a position that in free agency, the Ducks will try and bring in somebody who's a bit more consistent, a bit more reliable. So when you look at his uh, his being Cam Fallon, I'm spending a lot of time on him just because he's he's kind of like that guy that we were like, oh, you could trade him. He's somebody that could be, you know, could be traded and, and all that. But I mean, after after being at breakfast with Bob, um, he made it very clear he likes Cam Fowler a lot. He, he even said, you know, hey, this guy just passed Scott Niedermeyer and, you know, total franchise points. And, you know, he's he's skilled and they gave him that giant deal. So I don't really think he's going to be going anywhere anytime soon unless there's an offer they can't refuse, right? I mean, they like Cam Fowler. It's just the way it is. But looking at his usage, he was paired with Gou- with Gooley until he got hurt. So maybe that yeah. is the option that they stick with. And Gooley actually looked really good. So it's kind of like... Is Cam elevating this kid, or is this kid elevating Cam? We've kind of had that conversation. We've had that conversation with Cam a lot of times. We had it when he was playing with Brandon Montour. Is, is, is Cam doing this for Montour, or is Montour doing this for Cam? And I think we eventually settled that it was Montour who was doing this for Cam. Uh, and even this year, when I wrote an article uh, on Buckstar Feather for Cam Fowler about his season— um, and it was the complete opposite. It was, you know, who was dragging down this pairing between him and Manson? Was it Manson dragging down Cam Fowler? Was it Cam Fowler dragging down Josh Manson? And when you d- you dug into it a little bit more and you looked at what, you know, the with or without with Cam Fowler, he was pretty much dragging down everybody he got put with this year. It, w- it was an abysmal start to the season for him. It wasn't a great return when he came back from injury either, which is it's a tough one to come back from. But still. Uh, I mean, it, it just hadn't been a good year for Cam Fowler. He couldn't really work with anybody, and uh, he was dragging down whoever he got put with because of the mistakes that he was making. And it's nice to see him turn it around because he he is still a talented player, and he is still a talented defenseman. But I, I do think he needs that guy, and I don't know if Gouley is going to be that guy that is going to be able to boost his play or at least allow him to play to his strengths and not have to worry so much about defending in his own zone where he's going to be forced to make those mistakes. You know, it's it's too early to tell if Gouley can be that guy. I hope he comes back soon. You know, he he hasn't skated yet. He's apparently getting close to skating, but it's been, what, four games since Gouley's been out? It's been tough. And we, 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 got just, we got too little of a taste of how good it was of them playing together and how good Brandon Gouley was. And then, of course, he gets hurt. I mean, the Ducks can't have any good things this year. You know, you bring over a guy that was quickly I mean I don't want to say quickly but he was making it easier to forget Brandon Montour and then of course he gets hurt and now he's out of the lineup and we're you know we're dealing with Magna and Holzer and to, to Jakob Larson's credit he's actually been good but it was nice to see a young kid it's been a while since we've seen a young kid on the blue line come up and and, and impress right it was pretty much since Shea Theodore and Brandon Montour a couple about two or three seasons ago yeah and you know Jacob Larson's been the guy that's been paired with Cam Fowler ever since Cooley got hurt. So and that's but it's they've had kind of a tough showing I think the past couple of games they haven't been amazing they haven't been awful. It's just kind of not gone their way when you're looking at uh, looking at the stats for you know looking at shot counts and like when they're on the ice compared to when they're off the ice and how they compare the last two games to the previous three but 
Um, I think Gooley's the answer there for Cam Fowler, at least from what we've seen. We'll have to see where that goes when he comes back. But moving on, you mentioned Holzer and Megna, and my God, have they been disappointing. That's been a very disappointing pair. It's been brutal. I was at the St. Louis game when Holzer missed two hip checks in a row. Um, goes to lay somebody out along the wall, misses both. Uh, Megna's the one who turns the puck over at the end of that game to cause a goal, uh, I think, for the game-winning goal. And it's just, they've had a tough go since they've been called up to to put that bottom pair. And the problem is, um, we always have said, Eddie, that it doesn't really matter what your third pair is on there for, because they only play six to ten minutes, not a big deal. But holy hell, it's been tough. (laughs) Well, it doesn't matter in the sense that, yeah, they only do play about, you know, eight to ten minutes a game. But if they're out there in those eight to ten minutes making mistakes against the opposing team's, you know, third or fourth line, that's not a good look. And they did, and, you know, Holzer in the last game against the Kings, he got beat by Kyle Clifford cleanly. You know, Kyle it's Clifford just blew right by him. Yeah, he blew right by him and and ended up scoring on the play. And, you know, that's not a good look when you're out against Kyle Clifford and his line and you don't even put up any effort to to defend reliably. And, you know, that's the problem. And and, and that's why, you know, obviously the top two pairings matter. And the Blackhawks made a, you know, a dynasty out of just relying on two pairings, especially in the playoffs. But if you don't have two guys you can rely on on that third pairing, eventually they're going to be out there. And you can't always protect them. And especially if you don't have first change, the other opposing teams, if you have a weak bottom pair, they're going to be trying to get their best players out there against that bottom pairing. And, you know, the Ducks need to do some work there. You know, I think on the left side, they're fine because they've got Gooley, Fowler, if they want to move him back over there. They've got Lindholm. They've got Josh Mahura in the pipeline. They, you know, they got Jakob Larson. They're, they're good there. The right side now without Brandon Montour is where they need to do something because they don't have any young guys coming up. They've got two guys on expiring contracts. They've got Holzer, they've got Walensky, and they've got Manson. And Manson is really the only starter out of any of them, or really the only guy who you could say is NHL quality at this point. You know, Andy Walensky, like I said, is kind of borderline. Now, that doesn't mean to me go out and get a top four guy in free agency and spend all that money because it's not going to be worth it. But go out and get a reliable guy. I mean, you know, we, we've looked in the past at the Ducks needing to fill the left side of defense the last couple of free agencies and uh, they, you know, they ended up promoting from within and it worked out well for them, but they now need somebody that can come in and there's guys you can get, there's veterans you can get in free agency. There's, you know, some players that you can get that aren't going to cost you too much that you can try out for a season or two and it's not really going to hurt you that bad. Uh, One more thing from the Bob Murray breakfast, the Bob breakfast with Bob. He mentioned about going out and getting a big European defenseman. That he wants a defenseman, that uh, a big guy in front of that that could eat minutes. He wants a minute-eating big defenseman on the blue line. Um, but he also mentioned he likes the Shea Weber type, which made me laugh. Because, like, who doesn't like Shea Weber? Yeah, really. Um, I mean, not his contract attached to his name. He's got he's got all that going against him. But when you're talking about this raw skill and the size and the nastiness of Shea Weber, but he's also able to put up those kinds of points and quarterback a power play. And then also, by the way shoot a missile off the end of his stick um you know that goes through nets and breaks goalies <laughs> that's kind of like that's like finding a, the golden goose right like that's that's almost impossible to do uh you have to just get lucky in a draft to grab one of those guys but so bob is looking for defense for sure um but i'm not necessarily sure a minute eater is going to do you any good when you lose a guy who's mobile like brandon montour at three four 
who was kind of a minute eater in, in his own right, right? Like he was playing a decent amount of time when the, you know, at, at times he was the most used guy, right? Like he was a guy that was playing more than, than uh, Hambus Lindholm at times. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's the perfect prototypical minute eater defenseman that you're looking for, but you know, they, they need to replace that guy. Cause Josh Manson's not going to be that guy. Cam Fowler, he can't, he, I think he can, and he's proven that he can be. And so can Hampus Lindholm. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's not a guy you're going to get in free agency. Like you're, you're not going to be able to go out and get that guy. So the ducks are going to have to maybe settle for somebody that is just going to be reliable for them. And if you go and you look at free agency this year, there isn't a ton of guys that are, are really going to move the needle when it comes to free agent defensemen, obviously at the top end, but he's probably going to resign with the Sharks, Sarah Carlson. And, you know, the Ducks aren't going to be able to afford and, and really even shouldn't try pursuing him at, at this point in time. It just wouldn't make sense. And then, you, you know, if you sort by minutes played, average minutes played this year, there's only about eight guys who play over 20 minutes a night. And that's like borderline minute eater. If you don't play more than 20, you're really not a minute eater. Alex Edler is a free agent. He plays 23-38, but he's 32. And there'll be a team out there that will sign him for a decent amount of money for three or four seasons. And then you go down the list, it's Jake Gardner, Zidane Char, Anton Strahlman, Jay Boltmeister, Tyler Myers, and Ron Hainsey. And none of those really scream out to you saying, yeah, this is a guy the Ducks should go get. I mean, if they're competitive, you'd probably say Tyler Myers is a decent option, can play over 20 minutes tonight, is a big guy, and can put up points. But for the Ducks, it, it doesn't make sense. And, and there, there just really isn't that many guys out there. I mean, you can go out and maybe get you know Ben Lovejoy, but that's not a good option for a right-handed defenseman. You can go out and, and get you know a Jan Ruda or an Eric Griba or you know Roman Polak or Derek Anglin. Like these are the only right-handed right-handed defensemen available in this year's free agency. And you know that includes some of the, the Ducks' own players, Andy Walensky, Kabrinian Holzer. And Jacob Magna, the you know, of guys who are available in free agency, as well as Andre Suster and Jake Dodson. So they might have to look from within because they're not gonna get the big fish. And there really isn't any middle ground out there. There's just big name guys and then there's guys like Ben Lovejoy. Which sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ben Lovejoy, I guess he had his ups and downs throughout his career, but he's at that point now where you don't want to bring in a guy like that. It just it doesn't make any sense to bring in a Ben Lovejoy whatsoever. Um we can move it along here. But you got to talk about Ryan Kessler. I don't want to gloss over his accomplishment because it was gigantic for him. Um, so he hit a thousand games played in his career, and it was just something you could tell he was really trying to get to because he hasn't played since he hit the thousand games. Yeah, um, he hits the thousands game in Arizona. I believe was the game where he got his one thousands yep. game, and then the Sam Willies, of course, put on a class act for him. Uh, back at Honda Center uh, with the St. Louis game. But Ryan Kessler hits 1,000 games. I got a question for you on that, Eddie. Why the hell don't they count playoff games in your total games played? Is that a Canadian yeah, thing? I, I, <laughs> I honestly don't know. I've wondered that at the same time. Like, I get it's about playing 1,000 regular season games, and that's a big thing. But And maybe it's because not not every guy gets on a position where they can play in the playoffs or gets on a team where they can. But either way, you know, you play 700 – or that's, that's, the, that's not a good example. If you play like 850 regular season games and 150 playoff games, you've still played 1,000 games in this league no matter what. 
But if you fail to hit a thousand in the regular season, you've now missed out on a milestone. And you look at Paul Korea; he hit nine sixty nine, I think, yep. and uh, never hit a thousand games. You include his playoff games; I believe he's over that. So you know, but he played; he technically played a thousand games in this league. They just didn't get to the point in the regular season where you can get it. I, I don't know why they don't count it. They always separate those; they separate regular season points from playoff points. They, you know, the, you could argue that they could keep those together as well. And, and I think if you're going to keep those separate, then you have to keep games played separate. You can't have, you know, one or the other. You can't have points counted separately and the games played counted together. So I get that in that sense. Uh, but, yeah, they don't they don't really celebrate too many milestones in playoffs the way they do in the regular season. What so, blows I mean, me away it, about Paul Correa, what bothers me because I get real weird about it, is like he has 989 <laughs> games and 989 points. Yeah. 11 away. Just 11 away from hitting that 1,000 mark. Just yeah, brutal. It, it sucks that he. I mean, it's it's because of the concussions, right? Yeah, and of it's course. So, you know, for him, it's probably it, it's probably disappointing. You know, now it, everything's a lot better for him. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He doesn't really have too many regrets. But I'm sure not hitting a thousand games is something that every now and then he's like, damn, like I only had to do is play eleven more games and I would have been fine. And you you start looking back at some of the injuries you had and and you know how many games you missed and you maybe could have toughed it through and played and. You know, that you know, that that probably eats him up a little bit, but I'm sure. I mean, he's not hurting, so I'm sure. I'm sure it doesn't bother him too much. But it it's definitely something in the back of your mind because it is a big milestone. You know, a thousand games is a big milestone. Not many guys have done it. I think it's like 350 guys in this league over the entire history of the NHL have hit uh, a thousand games, which is a, a you know a fantastic achievement. It's great that Ryan Kessler actually made it there. Yeah. Because you know, you look at what this guy's gone through over the last couple of years. I probably would have put money on the fact that he wouldn't have been able to hit a thousand games, and you know he he proves every everybody wrong, hits it, and now like you said, we haven't seen him play since because of the injury. So it does seem like they kind of just were trying to get him to that milestone just in case he would, maybe knew would never hit it. You know, I think his his career his career right now is always in question. Anytime he misses a game, you know, anytime his hip starts feeling bad, you never know if that's going to be it for him. Well, right, let's talk about him a little more in depth here. So the health concerns for Ryan Kessler. Obviously, his hip. The guy has a lot of um, issues with his hip. He had to learn how to walk, learn how to re- like relearn how to skate again. All those things were massive for him with rehab. Just been brutal for him going back into uh, you know post surgery. Remember when the surgery first came around, like over a year ago, and it was kind of like, "I'll be back in time for training camp. Not a big deal. It's going to be like you know an eight to ten week injury, and that's it." And then all of a sudden after that, it was like, no, we're not seeing Ryan Kessler for a long time. Like he, it's, yeah. a, it's a major, major problem for him. Um, do you shut him down the rest of this year? I think you should. Well, the Ducks have 12 games, including tonight's game against Nashville. Um, you know, he's now considered questionable is what I heard from Eric Stevens. And, and I think that that's because it, it, it's what it always is with Ryan Kessel when he has a hip injury or a hip problem. If it flares up again, you're just like, you know, if you're feeling good tonight, can you go? Like, I feel like every night for him is a game time decision. Depends on how he's feeling going into that day and going into the game, if he's going to play or not. And, um, you know, it's been like that for a while for Ryan Kessler. And I think, you know, if you're playing like that, that's a tough way to play not knowing on a nightly basis if you're going to wake up and just not be able to play because your hips having issues I, personally and I you know if I was the general manager or the coach I would suggest to him to sit out for the rest of the season for his health but you know the type of player he is if he feels like he can play he's going to play yeah and you know when it comes to Ryan Kessler he even said in the article with the in the athletic for Eric Stevens 
He said, sometimes you feel like I'm, I feel like I'm 18. Sometimes I feel like I'm 80, right? Or something along those lines to that effect where you just, like you said, you, he never knows how he's going to feel until the day of the game before the game, how, you know, how his body is going to react to that. It's been brutal for that guy. So this kind of moves us along to the buyout question. And we've talked about this off and on. Um, and you and I have both been sort of apolog- apologetic towards Ryan Kessler because we both really like him when he was peak Ryan Kessler. Uh, the deal doesn't look so good on Anaheim's end now as his, as his career has kind of fallen off a cliff with all of his body giving out on him. Um, the Sam Willies are known to not like the buyout option. In fact, I think we're still paying for Mark Fistrick, or that just ended, and I can't remember the last time he wore a Ducks jersey. So it sucks to be paying somebody who doesn't work for you anymore. And this Kessler hit would be kind of large, a lot larger than yeah. Mark Fistrick. We're talking $2 million over six years. That's a big chunk of change. Do you really think that that is even on the docket, on the agenda, for the beginning of April when Bob Murray goes to meet with the ownership group? Well, I, I believe, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I believe he mentioned it um, at the breakfast, did he not? I believe he was asked, and he said that's something he would have to talk to the owners about because that's not something they normally do. Exactly. So I don't even think that's even going to be a question that they're going to entertain, though. I just can't imagine. It's an interesting answer. He didn't outright say, I'm not going to do it. And they didn't specifically finger Ryan Kessler when they said buyout. They just generically said buyout. Um, And maybe they were just, you know, trying to fish to see if they could get anything out of it. But it is an interesting answer to the question. He, you know, he's done this in the past where he's absolved himself of all responsibility on that fact. So if they don't do it, he can. Well, no, if it, he basically said, "I gotta ask for permission to do this." So if it right. doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen, it's not my fault. If it happens, then oh, I look what I did. I I did good. You know what I mean? Like that. That's uh, that's what it kind of seems like with him. But you know, he didn't outright say no. So I think like I'm sure it's something he's considered and he's thinking about and has to weigh up the options on whether. It's something that, one, he can get done and that the ownership group will even do and that it's the right move for the Ducks going forward, which I think it is. Um, I just don't know if the same rallies would want to pay that money. I think that's what it really comes down to, and that's why he has, has to ask for permission because they're the ones who are going to have to pay a guy who's no longer part of their team. Do you really think that that is um, even a question, though, that they're even going to consider with the, the amount of love for Ryan Kessler that is shown through the organization and shown by the fans. He's a fan favorite. Everyone loves this guy. Um, all his teammates love him. You see all the brutality his body's gone through trying to, like, we just went over all that stuff about him. And now you're going to be like, okay, man, you don't get to end your career on your terms. We're going to buy you out. Thanks for your service. Have a nice day. At the end of the day, it's a business and you're there to make money as an ownership group or as an owner, as an owner, rather not a group. It's just the Sam Willies. But, do you even think they're going to entertain that? I mean, wouldn't it be more likely that they do something? I, I mean, I guess that would be almost like the same thing of getting rid of Eves, along with all the stuff he's gone through and not being able to end his career on his own terms. It's not like they're playing bad. Their just bodies aren't able to play anymore. Yeah, and you have to wonder if one of them is just going to end up having to retire. And, and I think if you were the Ducks ownership group and, or even Bob Murray – and you had to pick between one of the scenarios, having to buy the guy out or him retiring. You probably, you know, at nine, probably ten times out of ten, you choose. You hope that guy retires because then you don't have to pay him money, uh, and you get a full cap relief off of that as well. So, I and you just hold. You send him on the LTIR, which you know teams have done with Hosa and Datsuk and Pronger in the past. It, it happens. So, you know, 
that's what you're hoping for. I, I can't see them making that move, especially on Kessler. You know, I, maybe they do it on Eves. It's less money. But at that point, you know, why are you doing that? Because if he's not going to play at all, you can still just have him on the LTIR, uh, Patrick Eves, and get you know almost full relief on his cap. And there's no point in using a buyout and having to pay that extra money over a longer period of time with with Eves contract. I believe he's only got one more year after this year. So yeah. there, there's literally no point. And the, the only one that would make sense would be Ryan Kessler because he does have two more seasons, or, or is it two or three after this year? I think it might be three more three. seasons he's after this year. He's got three more after this year. And that's why it would make sense, especially if you want this to be a short turnaround and you want to go out and use that extra cap space eventually in the next couple of years to go out and, and you know make some moves and bring in some, some significant players to make a difference. So... You know, it might not be a this summer thing. It might be a next summer thing. But I don't know how much time Ryan Kessler honestly has left in this league, especially if he's going to have to continually not just miss games but miss practices because of injury. It's yeah, it's going to be a real interesting summer, or you know, just off season in general for Anaheim. I mean, just leading right up to the draft. I mean, Bob Murray has stated that this was not the not the end of moves, but very much so the beginning of things to come here. Once the season's over with, he's going to meet up with his team and meet up with the owners and figure things out as to what the direction is for this team, um, ultimately to be competitive. But um, we're getting to the point now where we got to talk about the games coming up because it's much uh, much different than what the Ducks just went through here. They're going to be playing some good teams coming up here and not so much in the way of... Um, like when you think good, like oh, you're going to be playing, you know, Tampa Bay. You're not, you're, you're not going to be playing teams of that that uh, that elite level. There's a mix, There's a but mix it's it. it's a weird mix of teams. So you got teams battling for the playoffs, and that's where I kind of wanted to get to here. The Ducks aren't very good. They got Nashville tonight. Um, it was very clever of I think it was either NHL.com or AnaheimDucks.com say the Ducks are 3-2 and two in their last five and scored 19 goals. Like, that's so misleading because eight of them came in one game. Yeah. <laughs> no, 12 of them came in two games. Yeah, it's, right? that's so. tough. So let's talk about these real quick. How do you feel they're going to fare against Nashville tonight? you got John Gibson heading back into the crease tonight as well. So the Ducks, you know, get their starting netminder back. But this Nashville team is potent no matter what you do in front of them. They're, and they And they always bring their A game to Anaheim. Yeah, it's the if you're looking at just this week, um, the four games this week, it's probably the toughest one, right? Like Nashville over Arizona, Colorado, and Florida is the only one who is pretty much guaranteed a playoff spot right now. They would have to, you know, they've had their struggles. They've they've fallen down to fourth in the Western Conference, and and they're not no longer guaranteed uh, to be first in the Central now. Winnipeg is a point up on them with two games in hand, and you've got the Blues who are now four points behind them with two games in hand so it's been a bit of a slide for the Nashville Predators I think they've you know been on and off the last six games or so for them where they've lost one like a loss win loss win loss win type of situation so yeah, they're they five been, and five in their last ten yeah they haven't been as dominant as you're used to seeing from them but they still are, are a great team and you know the, the only semblance of hope the Ducks get in this is Philip Forsberg is a, is out with an upper body injury day to day right now, so you don't have arguably their best goal scorer in the lineup, 
but you still have to deal with either Pekka Rene or UC Soros. You still got Victor Arvidsson, who's been unbelievable since coming back. This guy has played only 46 games this year and has 28 goals and to go along with 11 assists. It's been a great year for him. Ryan Johansson, again, that's he's an, always a tough guy to face. And you look at the fact, like, even though Subban's having a tough year, you've got Ekholm and Yossi, who are just on fire, and you throw an Ellis and Subban into that mix as well. Still a dangerous team. And it's still going to be a tough one. The the only advantage, again, is Philip Forsberg's not there. And you're not playing in Nashville, which is probably one of the most difficult buildings in the entire league to play in. Um, so so this is the this is the staple game where you're like, this you know this is going to be the real test. But even Arizona and Colorado, you get those back-to-back. And Arizona's a F team fighting for the playoffs. That game's going to mean more to them than it is going to be for the Ducks. And then you got to go right into to facing McKinnon and Rantanen the night after against Colorado, who are also fighting for a playoff spot. And, you know, Florida still holding on hope. And Alexander Barkov has been on just a, a roll. Him and Huberto. Huberto was first star of the week uh, over the last week. So, you know, you have to go against three teams who are desperately trying to get into the playoffs with, you know, almost less than 10 games remaining in the season. It was weird to see Chicago just totally wax Phoenix the other night, though. Oh, my God. Yeah. They just destroyed them 7-1. to one. Chicago's got that in them this year because they've still got Patrick Kane and they've got some really good goal scorers, so so they can still put that up. But it was weird. I mean, Arizona's kind of been choking a bit. They were on a roll where they were one of the hottest teams in the league, and they were very, very close to a playoff spot. I think at even one point they were holding on to a wild card spot. And, and even even with the skid right now, they're one point out of uh, the the second wild card spot and two points out of the the first wild card spot. So even with the uh, the you know two losses in the last four, they still had that five game winning streak or six game winning streak that you know got them even into playoff contention. So they're not out of it, and, and they're going to be really fighting because it's getting to desperate times for them. Every every point you lose at this point, you know if if for them if if it's Dallas or Minnesota who wins, that that's that's a big loss for them. And, and the same goes for Colorado, who's right in there with them. Yeah, no, just kind of. Kind of going to be a tough go for Anaheim just because they're playing against teams that are trying to scratch and claw their way. And whereas the Ducks kind of, I hope they don't think there's some sort of way they're going to get into the playoffs and do anything. Like, my God, this team is 3-7 and seven in their past 10, and they just lost to a team that's 2-6-2. Two, and two. Like, please don't think there's any sort of, like, playoff hope or some sort of rope they're going to be able to jump on at the very end. And I keep, I keep no matter what, I know we got to end the show here in a second, but I keep seeing people say, like, Remember the Kings? They got in eighth place on the last day and won the cup the year they, they were out there. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, <laughs> it, it, it is true in the statement. You get in and anything can happen. And But the odds of that happening, especially with, with this Ducks team, like I, I'd have to go back and look. But I'm sure that that Kings team wasn't the lowest scoring team in the entire league. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure they didn't have – you know the the part of their their um their second pairing defenseman is a kid under 21 and then their bottom pairing is a guy like Magnet Holzer they they didn't have that you know it, it it's they didn't have one of their top goal scorers out of the lineup and Andre Cash like there's too many things going for the Ducks where it just wouldn't they wouldn't be that team they just aren't that team you know they, they just wouldn't be that team that would be able to sneak into the eighth seed and, and win a Stanley Cup there's plenty of teams who could be that team this year. You know, look at a Columbus Blue Jackets fighting for a playoff spot. Colorado has a better chance of being that team than the Ducks do. Even Arizona, you could argue, has a better chance to be that team that sneaks in and goes all the way. So, well, I, I mean, yeah. money, moneypuck.com, right? They have, they always have their rankings, their percentages, and they have the Ducks as a, at a really, really close chance. They're at zero percent. Um, 
<laughs> so the Ducks are at zero. And looking at Colorado, they're at 29.5. Arizona's at 35.3. So there's those are the teams. You just said it. Those are the two teams yeah. that could probably sneak in. And Arizona, I, they could be sneaky good. They're one of the teams I feel like they could they could catch fire at the right time and well, do some damage. They, they get Ronta, so. uh, they get Ronta right back for potentially for playoffs. So you you know if you then you're not going into the playoffs with like Darcy Kemper, who for for his credit has been very good. But if you get a guy like Ante Ranta back, right, right going into playoffs, you know, he's the guy this year that you would have thought, you know, where they are right now, he would have been the guy that would have got them to this point. So if he comes back, then the, there's a real good chance that they could be one of those those sleeper teams. If he gets hot, you know, they have the talent that they can they can make noise. It's it's a tough tough division to get out of because you've got to go against Calgary and San Jose, and, and you know, as for the next Ducks games go, you know, this it doesn't get easier. It doesn't get easier for them for the rest of this year. So if you're if you're on Team Tank, you look at the rest of these games, especially the next four. They're going to be tough. Then you go out and you have a three game uh, week against Winnipeg, San Jose, and then the back to back game where you face the Kings for for the watch party that we're going to have. And then the only easy games you've got, if you want to call them easier, Vancouver and Edmonton, because you play Calgary twice in the final four games. Then you finish off the season against the Kings, which no matter how bad these teams are, they always play a tough game. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. It is going to be a tough go, but Team Tank is in full effect here, um, if you're Eddie and I, at least. I know Jason's not a fan of it as much, but um, I think that'll do it for us, Eddie. If you guys would love to listen to us in between these weekly shows for Pucks with Feather, we also do nightly broadcasts uh, during our After Dusk game, Ducks games on Forever Mighty Post Game Show. We'll be doing one tonight. Obviously, you'll hear this after I say this, but uh, against Nashville and, you know, like I said, every game. Eddie's kind of skipping town, though. He's heading here um, next week for our watch party. He'll be here for, um, was it on March 23rd? It'll be our watch, final watch party of the season for Forever Mighty. And uh, we'll tweet out details here on Pucks with Feather also. But if you guys want to catch us in between, that's what we'll be. And we'll talk to you guys next week. See you guys.